Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. The OKC Thunder season comes to an end. What a thrilling finish it was, and what a thrilling season it was for OKC. We all entered this year wondering what the future of Oklahoma City basketball was going to be. There was a lot of conversation about whether it was time to completely tear this thing down and start from scratch. And I think there were a few fans that wanted to see the Thunder with the talent that they had try and make a run at this thing. And and the cool part about the early success of this regular season, it allowed Sam Presti to be in a good situation where he could either let it play out and let this team try to accomplish as much as they possibly could, or if the right offer came along, he could move some of the veteran players. The right offer never materialized, and we got to see this team play an entire season together, and man, it was a lot of fun. I've joked on multiple occasions that I feel like this team has taken about three years off my life with all the thrilling finishes and come-from-behind wins and just all the dramatic games that they've played all year long and you can say a lot of things about this Thunder team in 2020 but I think two things are very true this is a team that fought their asses off from the first game of the season through the game seven finale and from start to finish this team was as fun and exciting to watch as any team in the NBA so the 2020 edition of the Oklahoma City Thunder is a team that I enjoyed watching all season long It's unfortunate the way that that thing ended in Game 7, having those opportunities and falling short the way that they did. But I'm excited to see what's next for this Thunder team. Hitting the reset button like we talked about last offseason just doesn't feel quite as gloomy this time around if that's what happens this offseason. Chris Paul, two years left on the deal. Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder each have a year left on their contracts, and Danilo Gallinari is now a free agent. So what ultimately does OKC do with those four veteran players? Regardless of whether they keep or move those guys, they have a solid foundation with SGA, with Lou Dort, with Darius Baisley, and you're not building from the ground up if they go into rebuild mode. So I like the position the Thunder are in. You don't have to move guys for the sake of moving them. But if the right offer comes along, you certainly have to weigh the option of making this team better in the long term versus potentially losing guys in free agency a year from now or having guys value drop with age. So I think it's a really interesting offseason. I think there are big questions and big conversations that are going to be had in the Thunder front office. But I'm excited to see what the moves look like. And I think regardless of what the moves are, you've got to be excited about what the future of Thunder basketball is. My guest today is Matt Reynolds. He is the afternoon host on CBS Sports 105.3 in OKC from 2 to 5 weekday afternoons. He is also the director of Prep Hoop Circuit, America's number one independent grassroots basketball circuit. And we'll talk about that a little bit in this podcast as well. But basically, we break down Game 7. We talk about what's next for the Thunder, what's next for this offseason, the position that Sam Presti's in as a team builder and general manager, and his role as far as scouting basketball players across the country. So this is a fun conversation. I appreciate Matt joining me. And let's get on with it. Here's Matt Reynolds. Did you get any sleep following Game 7 last night? A little bit. A little bit. You know, those back-to-back Game 7s, I hadn't been a whole bunch of sleep. Even the first one, I wasn't invested in Utah, Denver, but that one was great. And, uh, that one last night, man, it just left you wondering. They had so many chances. Thunder had so many chances, but they just could not get it done, especially uh, as you're seeing all the analysis of that last play. It just kind of rolls and rolls in your head like, come on, Bill Donovan. Come on. Can it, we got to figure something out. Figure out a little bit of a better play. There were so many what-ifs when the dust finally settled and you think back of all the opportunities they had with under 30 seconds remaining in the game. 
like my, my head was still spinning at a, at a pretty incredible rate. Uh, so it took me a while to go to sleep after the game. And, and I had to put a couple extra scoops in the coffee this morning when I got out of bed, cause I was not ready to start the day yet. I'm right there with you. I'm not the most morning person in general, but, uh, unless I'm going to play golf, I can wake up for golf. But, uh, other than that, I'm not, not a morning person and especially not after that. Now, if the Thunder would have won, I'm sure it would have made a lot of people in Oklahoma City a little easier to wake up and have their day, but uh, they, they did not. So it was quite the contrary. Before we kind of talk about the way that that thing played out, I do think it's so interesting that this season is now over, and even though it was just a clusterfuck at the end of that thing, I, I think people are frustrated with how it ended, but the overall feeling is one of respect an appreciation for the Thunder team that I think the fan base watched throughout this season and certainly in this first round series because the expectations were pretty low. Not a lot of people expected them to win this series anyway. And with one second remaining in the series, the Thunder had a chance to either tie or win the game. The past two seasons, when the Thunder finally were sent home and and the final buzzer sounded and the season was over, it kind of felt like the fan base was done with Thunder basketball. They they had been fed up with the product they had seen, and they were kind of glad that the season had ended. And, and it, it seemed to me most fans were kind of ready to move on to football or something else. This has a completely different feel to it. It does for, for most. Uh, it, it definitely does. I, I watched the game last night at Chalk, which uh, I know is a, a favorite place of yours, obviously, but... Uh, Pretty pretty fun though because it felt like I was in arena probably for the first time since what March 11th. Yeah. Uh, obviously not a clear arena, but I mean it was loud. If, if it was, something was good, it was loud. If something was bad, it was uh, definitely down. And most by of the, the way, fans I was there on March 11th for for the shutdown game. Yeah. Oh, fun, fun. <laughs> uh, mo- most of the fans I would say left with the sentiment you're talking about, but there was a few outliers. And it's funny to me just how much expectations in life if you have low expectations for anything and it over exceeds, you're going to be a happy person. Whether it's you had low expectations for your house to sell and your house sells and it sells for $10,000 more than what you thought, of course, you're going to love it. If it's the opposite side though, and your house, you know, plummets $20,000 and yeah, you get it sold, but you lost some money. Your expectations obviously were there and you're a little bit disappointed. So I think most Thunder fans are happy. Um, I would say from my perspective though, I don't see, Yes, there's a difference in this year to last year, obviously on the team, but the result's still the same to me. They lost in the first round. Now, were they expected to get here? No. Um, so definitely take pride in that. They had a way better season than anyone could have ever dreamed. Uh, but it just to me, at the end of the day, you still – if they would have climbed that mountain last night and somehow won that game, then I think you're like, holy crap, like this has got to go down as one of the best Thunder teams. But heard a few people talking, oh, this is – this is my favorite Thunder team, and I, I definitely understand that. At the same time, I would ask them, if this is your favorite Thunder team, did you forget about Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook? <laughs> those were some pretty damn good teams yeah. Yeah. back in the day. So I, I get people's sentiment, though, but I think it just comes back to expectations. You know, People yeah, have for such sure. low expectations. And, and I think it's expectations, but I also think it's, it's one of those situations with this group especially where any given night, whether they've, they've won or lost – I don't feel like we've had the conversation of 
did they leave everything on the floor? Could they have tried harder? Could they have worked a little harder defensively? Like most nights, it kind of feels like this group has gotten about everything that they they have, or Billy Donovan has gotten about everything he can out of what this group is capable of. And, and I think the other part of it that, that grew tiresome was the, the constant whining from the last two basketball teams with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. And it, it just had such a toxic feel in terms of these guys all getting along and all being super competitive and wanting to play together and sacrifice for each other for the betterment of the team. And so I think those are, are also two of the, the big things that this team has that fans appreciate versus the last few years. You hit the nail on the head. Uh, people were fed up with Russell Westbrook. And I, I, I've given this perspective on my radio show many times. And definitely I have, you, you know, def- proceeded to where I'm not in fan mode uh, just with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I just, I, I got out of that. But obviously I'm a young guy. So when they came, I was uh, just going to high school when Russell Westbrook gets drafted and is with the Thunder. So you can imagine through high school and through college, I became the biggest Russell Westbrook fan yeah. in the entire world. But as I graduated and I'm like covering him, um, he is an absolute dickhead to cover. He is <laughs> one of the worst human beings I've ever sat in an interview room to just hear from. And it kind of like, it really soured me. I still got a lot of love for the guy. He's given me so many great memories. But last night, the, the overwhelming thought I kind of had at the end of the game was if the Russell Westbrook that's in Houston right now was in Oklahoma City where he's humbled, whether where he's kind of ate some of his own pie and said, Hey, you know, I got to change. I can't take all these threes. I can't do all this. The Thunder would have won the past few years much further than what they did. And that is the frustrating part with those teams. Not only are they not winning, but you have him and Paul George making excuse after excuse where this team, they just busted their ass every single game. Right. And they were going to go out there and give you everything they had. And I think Lou Dort last night is probably the best example of that. I mean, that dude has no business doing what he's doing, but he says, hey, I'm here and I'm going to play as hard as I can and give everything I've got to this team. Yeah, I mean, from a talent standpoint, you know, Chris Paul certainly was one of the better players in the NBA this season. And if we're having the MVP discussion, he's on that short list. I'm not saying he wins it, but he's on that short list because of what he not only he did, but just kind of how he rose the level of play from all of his teammates on the on this team. But, but certainly, I don't think physically Chris Paul is at the same level that Russell Westbrook is at this point in his career. And Paul George, we know what he's capable of. I mean, those teams the last two years for Oklahoma City, it felt like we're capable of so much more than you saw on a nightly basis. And that's why it was so frustrating to hear them whining in the process of not really leaving it all out there. And this group completely overachieves. They, they take it to the wire. Again, they didn't finish it off, and that would have been the the cherry on top of the whole damn thing. But it's... Uh, I, I just I don't see anybody not appreciating what this group accomplished. I, I think everybody does. Even even the people that are disappointed in the loss, I think when they reflect on it and really think about it, they'll appreciate it. And, and the biggest difference in the two teams as you're talking there that comes to mind is this. When Russell Westbrook and Paul George lost the last few years, you didn't see any tears from them. You didn't see any, man, I left everything out there and I just didn't have it. And we, we gave everything to this team. You didn't see that. Right. You heard very short conversations from a Russell or a Paul George making some excuse. This year, they lose. Lou Dort's freaking crying, making a sob story for all of us. Like, man, undrafted free agents. <laughs> and the, you think about the road he's had. Like, yeah. he's crying. He gave it all. Chris Paul, the leader's crying. Like, 
everybody in that locker room, that meant something to even the dudes that didn't get in the game. Like they, they just wanted it more. It seemed this year. And I think, unfortunately, as much as I hate to say this, I think that's because of Chris Paul, who I've never been that big of a fan of, but I've gained a lot of respect for because I think his leadership is what ultimately got this team to where they're at, uh, where they're not whining and complaining after losing a first round series. They said, man, we gave everything we had. And unfortunately it just wasn't enough. Well, you mentioned Russell Westbrook going to Houston and being humbled somewhat. I, I think the same thing is true of Chris Paul, because certainly Chris Paul has had his issues with being a whiny player and not necessarily a great team guy, a great leader. We know that it wasn't a good situation when he left the Clippers. It obviously wasn't a good situation when he left the Rockets. And the expectation, or maybe not the expectation, but I think there was a question at least when he was coming to Oklahoma City, what kind of guy were we going to get? Were we going to get this dude that was just pissed off that he was going to this team that nobody expected to make the playoffs? Was he going to demand a trade and, and want to get out of here as quickly as possible? And to his credit, I think he was humbled to a degree and made the best of a situation that nobody thought was going to be good. And all of a sudden, he's a, a guy that is probably top five in MVP consideration this year. This team overachieves. But I think more than anything, when you start talking about the legacy of Chris Paul, on the short list of things you're talking about, I think this season has to be included in the highlights. It has to. I, I actually think this season was his best season if you look through his whole career. And no, not from a number standpoint, but just from a production standpoint, both on and off the forward, he's able to accomplish. Uh, ju just from relationships I have in the basketball world, uh, things things where he's been have not been good, whether it's been with the Clippers or Houston. And the, Pel the, the Pelicans now, Hornets then, uh, it was a little better, I think, because it was kind of his team. Chris Paul very clearly has to be the alpha dog, and I don't think he really works well with any other alpha dogs, whether that's James Harden, Blake Griffin, you know, whoever it is. I don't think he works that well, which is kind of interesting when you get into trade talks, which I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of over the next uh, yeah. several months where he's going to go. I, I don't know if this situation maybe helps him realize that, Hey, I've got to work better with that, but he didn't really have to work on the alpha dog syndrome in Oklahoma city because he was the alpha dog. Everybody looked up to him. Everybody listened to him. Uh, even guys like Dennis Scruder who could have said, Hey, I just learned from Russell Westbrook and I don't want to learn anymore. I just want to be, you know, the starting point guard guys like him, even, Hey, they, they bowed down to him and learned from him. So Chris Paul assumed that role really well. I am interested and kind of hopeful that the Thunder do trade him to a real contender, whether that's the Sixers or whoever, because I want to see, okay, has he really been humbled to the point he can work with other stars? Or is that just, hey, I've got a lot of young players and I'm going to get all the credit, so let me go lead. I'm not sure which one. I hope it's obviously the one where he's realized, yeah, I've got to work with people. Before we jump into what's next for Chris Paul and, and what this offseason looks like for this team, we have to talk about the final like 30 seconds of last night because – that was complete chaos, and like, you know, it doesn't impact me either way which which side wins, but like, I'm sitting there watching just the complete chaos that's happening, and bodies hitting the floor, and nobody seemingly having control of their bodies, and it just like, it, it's like everybody was trying to play drunk, and like, I was stressed out. It was a madhouse, and <laughs> I told you I was at chalk. Chalk really added to the game experience, because all of the people are in there and they're following all the great protocols. So it wasn't like it was packed, packed, but it was full by COVID standards. Uh, it, I mean, you heard oohs, ahs, cheers, and no one really knew what to do because you'd be cheering for one second. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, the crowd would be like, oh, bleak, 
we just lost the ball. We lost the ball. What's happening? So it was, it was just nuts. And the biggest thing that I look back on it is Oklahoma city has been so good in the clutch time. So good. I just think, unfortunately, after Chris Paul's statement of some people show up in the fourth quarter and some people don't, he had a good game, but there was definitely moments down the stretch where you point and say, man, it just wasn't the same Chris Paul that we've seen all year long in the last 30, 40 seconds of the game. Ultimately, though, I, I got to put some blame on Billy Donovan for as much as I love to back up Billy, and he is a good coach. I'm not going to sit here and say he's not. He's got to call a timeout and get his team way better organized in that last 30 seconds. As soon as the ball was I, – I go to the play first off when Chris Paul misses the floater in the lane. If he just keeps driving to the basket, he's got a layup. Yeah. Maybe he gets fouled and doesn't make the layup, but something good's going to happen. And he makes that floater probably nine times out of ten. So it's like – it's just the one time where he just clanks it. I, after that, though, I think you really uh, – you know, I, I think at that point, Billy Donovan would have been wise to call the timeout as soon as CP3 tried to pass the SGA in the corner and Russell Westbrook deflects it. As soon as the Thunder player gets that ball back, I'm calling a timeout. Because Absolutely. Lou Dort shooting that shot, you don't you don't want him shooting the shot that he got. And I can't blame Lou Dort. The dude's been hot as all get out. If he, if he just would have sidestepped, he has a wide open three or Harden probably fouls him either way. But he just he didn't think Harden would get there, and hey, I can't blame him because who knew that Harden played defense until last night? Yeah, and but but why do you want Lou Dort taking the most important shot of the season? I'm I'm with you completely. In fact, as soon as that game ended, Joe Adkins and I did our live stream, and my first point was because he wanted to talk about the inbounds play and and the Stephen Adams thing, which we'll get to. Who you know, Stephen Adams potentially has a layup or a dunk if if SGA sees him. But I went back to that that possession with 12 or 13 seconds or whatever it was. And that, to me, was the first mistake in a series of mistakes. But you have plenty of time to get one shot off with 12 or 13 seconds. Chris Paul has the ball. And to your point, I don't know if he, like, stumbled or something, but his footwork looked a little awkward when he was making that pass. Russell Westbrook tips it. And then from that point, like, everything was on tilt. Like, nothing seemed like it was in control. And if I'm Billy Donovan, once again, to your point, like, and I was making this point last night, call the timeout there and just reset the thing because at that point, it felt very much out of control. You you had no idea who was going to end up with the ball. You have a couple options on the floor that you don't necessarily want taking the final shot anyway. So reset the thing and put the ball back in the hands of the most clutch player in the NBA, and he didn't do that. And, you know, it, it happened the way it did. The ball finds Lou Dort. James Harden makes a terrific defensive play. Luckily, the Thunder then had another opportunity, which it kind of seemed like the game was over after that. But that was that was the first big issue I had was Billy Donovan not calling a timeout, not giving them a reset, and not giving his, t- his team a better chance to make a game-winning play than trying to figure it out through the chaos of, of what was taking place. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Billy Donovan in the coaching seat uh, got out coached in this series by Mike D'Antoni. And Mike D'Antoni is a good coach. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, you got out coached by somebody who's just terrible. But I think it's a, it's a trend we've seen. Unfortunately, he doesn't always adjust. And similar to Scott Brooks when the Thunder lost the championship in 2012 because they would not take Kendrick Perkins off the floor. There were times in this series where he just would not take Steven Adams off the floor, and Steven Adams is just an awful, awful matchup for this team. And it's not Steve-O's fault. He's a good player for what he is. But against Houston in particular, he is almost utterly useless unless he's just yeah. getting every offensive rebound and dunking it. And 
yeah, you know, you bring up the last play. I when Lou Dort throws it out of bounds, I thought the game was over. Everybody at chalk thought the game was over. I'm assuming that's just the way it was because there's not enough time on the clock and right. the Thunder had to foul twice. But, uh, you know, they still have a chance. That's the yeah. craziest thing about yeah, this they game. had another they opportunity. Had it was chance. like the basketball gods were like, we're giving you this chance. You're going to have an opportunity to tie this thing or win this thing. And they still didn't take advantage. No, and that, Colby, for as bad as the thing was of not resetting Chris Paul, that inbounds play been watching basketball for a long time. That was one of the worst inbounds plays I've ever seen in my life, ever. I mean, I've got great greatest example. I'll give uh, this guy a shout out. My man John Roby with Team Griffin, uh, which is a, a Nike program that plays in the summer, sponsored by Blake and Taylor Griffin. He drew up a play last summer for 14 year olds from half court. That was a hundred times better than what <laughs> Billy Donovan did last night. And I'm just like, listen, I know Billy's smart. I know he's smart. But uh, Stephen Adams, if you go back, watch the clip before the time, before the first foul, where Gallinari gets fouled, with that, which that's another thing in itself. But uh, Stephen Adams literally had a wide open lane to the hoop. Just yeah. throw the ball up to the seven-footer, yeah. let him catch it, and dunk it. And we go to overtime. Uh, that's what, The only thing I would have worried about at that point is him holding on to the ball too long. But he had a second plus. He yeah. been fine to dunk the ball. I, I made that and point last night as well. Time, yeah, He has was... another chance. The second time he had another chance to run to the basket. It's, if you want Steven, if Steven Adams is in the game, run him to the basket. Screen, run to the basket. You can't, I mean, otherwise, take him out and put a guard in that can shoot a three. Because that, that was just atrocious what happened. Good Lord. It, it was crazy. And, and you're right. He had the layup or the dunk. My, my The worry there, and we saw this all series long, when they tried to get him the ball, he has such a hard time catching and gathering and making the next move that – even even having that layup, if, if SGA, th- unless it's just a perfect right in front of the rim, he literally just has to catch it and then finish. Like, it's a little bit scary to think Steven Adams is going to have to catch it, gather himself, and then put the ball in for the win with that amount of time left because he's not shown the ability to move that quickly when when he does catch the basketball. But But that aside... The fact that Houston switches everything to me also made it crazy that he's out at the three-point line trying to set screens or whatever. Like, it's useless when they're switching everything. You need another guy out there that has to be a threat to shoot the basketball, not a guy out there setting screens. If you're going to put Steven Adams in that situation, you got to have the trust and faith that he can make that shot around the basket. I mean, I guarantee yeah. if you ask you and me before, before the play happens, if you ask both of us what we'd rather and any other Thunder fan or have any interest in the Thunder winning the game, they're going to say, yeah, I'd much rather Steven Adams have a chance to go dunk the basketball and do what the hell happens. Because that was just, I mean, what was he going to do? Catch it with one hand and throw a backwards hook shot for three to win <laughs> right, the game? Like, right. That was, that was awful. And and one point, I, I do want to touch on this, and I don't know how you feel about this at all, but I really am disappointed with how SGA played in this entire series, but particularly even in last night. 1,000%. His numbers don't look awful. His numbers don't look awful last night. But a minute and 30 seconds to go, I'm telling you, that dude got as tight as I've seen a player get tight. He was not didn't want the ball. He didn't want anything. And I'm not going to say at – he's probably 21, 22. He's a, he's a young guy. So I'm not going to say his career's over. He can't be this. He can't be that. But I will say this. There was a lot of people that thought, oh, we got the next Russell Westbrook. He's a different type of player, but he's better for us. He's going to be as good as Russell Westbrook was, though. 
and he's going to lead us to our future with all these picks. I am officially not on that side. I am on the side that SGA is at best a three on a championship team, the three option, third option. He cannot be the alpha dog right now. Now, maybe Chris Paul leaves and he develops that, but what we saw in this series tells me he ain't ready for this moment. I mean, look at Donovan Mitchell. Look at um, the other side there in that series with Denver with Jamal Murray. Those dudes are around his age. Those are dudes. Those are dudes. What SGA is right now, I think, unfortunately, I don't think he's that piece that leads them to a championship, to their first championship. I think they're going to have to surround him with with some better players, which luckily for them, they've got a thousand picks. So they should be able to do that. I, I still think the ceiling is incredibly high for SGA. And I don't, I, I at least don't feel like I know for sure what he's going to be. I think he could be a lot of things. I think he could be exactly what you're talking about. I think he could be a one or two guy on a really good team. He, you know, it's hard to maybe take on that leadership role in his position when you do have a Chris Paul on the floor. So we don't know what it's going to look like when Chris Paul leaves and and he kind of takes that on his shoulders. I mean, for Donovan Mitchell, for example, like Donovan Mitchell didn't have a Chris Paul on that team and he was kind of forced to, you know, rise to the occasion in a big moment where there wasn't already that alpha dog. So he had a terrible series. Absolutely terrible. I'm not ready to sell my stock on SGA, but I, I completely agree with you in terms of what he was in this series. The numbers last night look considerably better. Like the box score doesn't, I think, give a good example of the performance that we saw. In fact, down the stretch of the game, I know he hit that big three-pointer from the corner. That was a, a massive shot for the Thunder. But like with five minutes to go, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what's on the court. I'm looking at what Billy Donovan is doing from a lineup standpoint. I didn't think SGA was one of the best five players for the Thunder in that situation. I, if, if they had put SGA on the bench at that point in time, I don't think I would have been upset about it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I'll, I'll go ahead and go on the record. I'm, I'm selling every stock I have of them, and I may be wrong. I may be crazy in three years, but I just, in watching basketball, these players either have it or they don't yeah. in those moments, and I don't think he has it uh, based off this series. And uh, to be honest with you, we, we'll have a lot of time between uh, now and the season start. Who knows when that'll be. I'm going to go back and watch the Clippers playoff series last year, and I know he was a much lesser role. I just want to see how he played there. Yeah. Because I don't remember him a whole bunch in that series. Uh, I know he started, obviously, he played a pivotal role for that team, but I I just want to see what he was, was he scared in moments, because he just looked, he looked scared. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the bubble. They didn't have fans screaming at him in in Houston. God bless, what would have happened if he was in Houston? I I just got to think he would have even played even worse. So I... I'm not saying he can't be a good player. I just don't think he's a number one lead you to a championship like maybe some of us thought he could have been, which I was one of those people when he got traded. I said, oh, maybe he, maybe he's the next guy. But I, I think he can be a good piece. I just don't think he's the piece yeah. to lead them uh, to a championship. Well, also, I think at his best, he's going to be a point guard. He's not playing off the ball nearly as much as he is right now. So th- that's the other thing that I, I really have to consider. I think when you are playing on the ball, you're going to, to I mean, it's, it's just going to be a different perspective from him rather than playing off the ball as much as he is watching the game from from like the corner, for example, because like that's not what he naturally is. And it's, it's crazy because in this series, like for the most part, when he's been in the game, it's like he's in the game, but he's not really in the game. You know what I mean? Like it feels like yeah. he's out there watching everyone else and not really involved with everyone else, if that makes sense. 
Well, the perfect standpoint of what you just brought up, which is the truth, he's not playing his real position with Chris Paul and his team. But when, when CP3 goes out for that short little bit in the fourth quarter, which was a very interesting time, I know they're not going to play him past his minutes, but I, I would have personally just stretched at that point. You're playing. Agreed. It's game seven. But uh, when they did that, I, you know, the instant thought of my brain was, all right, SGA, it's your team, buddy. You got to step up. You got to take, take the reins here. And he still just kind of stood in the corner. That just was who he was. And it probably will definitely – not probably. It'll definitely help when Chris Paul's gone with the ball in his hands. Um, but I, I just – the tentativeness in his play, that, that's the part that scares me the most. It's just I, I've never seen a championship-type guy that is a number one lead dude on a team ever be tentative. Kobe was never tentative. Yeah. And obviously he's not in the caliber of Kobe, but those are the type of guys that win you championships. The Kobe's, the LeBron's, the Dirk's, like – you got to be really, really special to be the number one guy on a, on a team and lead him to a championship. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's that's absolutely fair criticism. There there should never be a point where we're questioning the aggressiveness. I mean, you can question the shot making and, and you know, the actual parts of the game, but when you start questioning maybe the aggressiveness of a player, that's, that's certainly not a good sign. Russell Westbrook's never won a championship. I know everybody knows that. But he has gotten to a finals with a pretty good guy in Kevin Durant, and he's got to the playoffs a lot of times, even with some crappy teams. That being said, we've never ever had to yeah. question Russell Westbrook when he was young. Well, was he was he not aggressive enough? It was always man, he's too aggressive. He, yeah. he he wants it too bad sometimes and makes silly mistakes. And SGA is just the opposite, and that that is kind of hard to I think adjust to as well. So a little unfair to him that he's following Russell, but shoes he's got to fill. Well, one player that did establish himself last night and is now probably a household name across the NBA watching community is Lou Dort. No kidding. What if you a, didn't what know who Lou Dort was kid. last night, I mean, everybody in the NBA knows Lou Dort now. Everybody does. And you'd love to see the, the Cinderella sports stories work out. And if the Thunder would have won that game last night, you could almost make the case make a 30 for 30 for Lou Dort because that was <laughs> when you talk about a series that was the opposite effect game five he was so bad I mean so so bad that you're just like oh my goodness like this poor kid get him off the floor by the way did you and know that he went to Arizona around. State and he and James Harden with work James. out together oh yeah are you aware of that yeah, with by Dan- any chance <laughs> I, I'm very well aware that James Harden <laughs> goes back to Arizona State quite frequently and <laughs> James's trainer for a long time is Irv Roland. Now, Irv doesn't work with James anymore, but uh, he, he did throughout his MVP years, and many times Irv's from Midwest City. And so um, knowing Irv as well as I do, yeah, he goes back quite a bit. So I figured that they had played against each other. So that helps him, I'm sure, kind of understand, obviously, James's game. But what he did specifically on the offensive end, that's one of the hardest things to re- to come back from being so terrible. Yeah. You got Shaq on television, and, and Charles like, Lou Dort. Quit shooting. Quit shooting. And actually, I think Shaq might have been the one that encouraged him to keep shooting. But uh, he kept shooting last night, and they don't come out on top. But, man, they would have had to make a 30 for 30 if Lou Dort would have made that three over James Harden. They would have, they would have had to make some type of short film just on that series. Right. Because that, that would have just been something we've never really seen. And he's in the conversation, I believe, with Kobe and I want to say I didn't. I don't remember who the third guy was, but two two spectacular guys that uh, in their rookie year scored over thirty points in their game seven. 
Yeah, it, it was pretty incredible. And if they win that game, I mean, that goes down as one of the legendary performances in playoff history. It's still, I mean, remarkable what he accomplished. Uh, it may be forgotten because they don't advance, but uh, Thunder right. fans are never going to forget the performance from Lou Dort. Where were you as far as the keep shooting thing? Because my perspective was, if we start telling this guy not to shoot, the worry becomes he starts being an Andre Robertson who teams really don't respect He's still young enough that maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but I like the fact that he still had confidence, he was still pulling the trigger, and you have to make teams appreciate the fact that he's not going to be scared of that shot. I was a little bit in between, but the biggest reason why I did not want to tell him not to shoot is because exactly what you just said, and I, I didn't know that you felt that way, but Andre Robertson, again, is not what the Thunder needs. Uh, they don't want any part of that. And he was always a better shooter than Andre. Yeah. I don't even think they're in the same stratosphere. Agreed. But he shot so bad in that one game that it – I mean, look at what's happened with Terrence Ferguson. That dude's lost his entire confidence and looks like he can't even play basketball anymore, right. unfortunately. And he he's had a lot of stuff happen in his personal life, and – Thoughts and prayers go out to him. I hope I hope all that works out, and I hope his basketball career gets back on the map. But it does show you with guys like that, and with Robertson, we saw it for so long. Once they lose their confidence, it's really hard to get it back. And so, uh, I think the the best thing that happened for Oklahoma City in this entire series is the fact that Lou Dort played well on the offensive end in the last game, and that's going to give him, I think, confidence to keep working and going forward. He's got a great, great, great trainer and uh, Phil Beckner that has worked with him. Uh, in in the Phoenix area there, and Phil Phil's the guy that recruited Damian Lillard, and still works him out to this day. So like Phil has obviously a great eye for talent. Phil but Phil took this kid and said, hey, we're going to work on these things. He got a lot better, and that's why obviously the Thunder were very interested. And I I have no doubt in my mind, he'll get back to work with Phil. Uh, and their motto is be better, be different. And over this offseason, I think you'll see even a more trans transformed great player. The contract the Thunder have him on is the best contract in the NBA, by the way. The best contract in the NBA. You Not think they're close. regretting that move now? I think Lou Dort <laughs> had an awful agent. Like, I feel bad for yeah. him. I'm like, hey, I'm not an agent, but Lou, I'll go get you a better deal than that. Come on, man. Like, we're not signing that contract. And in the same breath, though, the dude's a millionaire. I mean, at some point, you got to think about it. He was undrafted, and now he's guaranteed $5 million. Like, he's he's going to be okay after that $5 million. Which, by the way, if you give me $5 million in Oklahoma City, you can live like a king. It's not like he's going to be hurting. And then uh, after that, you know, he'll, he'll get a better contract if he continues on, just like Andre did. All right, let's talk about the offseason. What's next for the Thunder? Because I think this is going to be a really interesting offseason. There are some big decisions that have to be made in the front office about what this team is going to look like and what the plan is as far as, uh, you know, a few players. Uh, Dennis Schroeder goes into the final year of his contract. Uh, Steven Adams goes into the final year of his contract. Danilo Gallinari is a free agent. We've got Chris Paul for two more years. I mean, they kind of have to at least have an idea of what direction they want to go with those four players before the season starts, whether they're looking to move them this offseason before next year's trade deadline and just kind of what that passing of the torch is going to look like. I think in terms of a rebuild, a year ago at this time, that was a really scary proposition because if we started talking rebuild, I think we're talking ground up, right? You're you're like worried that you're going into that 10 years of NBA obscurity because you don't know what the building blocks are. To your point about SGA, maybe he is, maybe he's not. 
the one or two player on a great team. But if you're rebuilding and you have SGA, you have Lou Dort, and you have Darius Baisley, you at least like the foundation that you're starting with. So in, in terms of the decisions that have to be made, your thoughts about this offseason? You have a base. You do. Um, even a guy like me that has no longer the biggest SGA fan after watching what he did in the playoffs um, and reacting to it, I'm not, once again, I'm not saying the kid is dead to me. Like, he's a talented basketball player. He can definitely rebound, um, you know, and, and become a way better player and make me look silly. But at the same time, I do think I, – I believe he's a good three option or he could be a two option for you. I just don't think you're winning a championship with him. Um, I mean, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant could win a championship. I, that's, that's a hard proposition for me to say that SGA is to the level of either of those two in their prime with Oklahoma City. Now, he's young again, so he's got a chance. But I li- like what you said there. He's got a, you got a base. I'm of the belief, though, you tank. You try to tear the whole thing down. I thought they should have done that this year because ultimately, if you're trying to win a championship, I always say this is the Utah Jazz approach because I feel like this is Utah every year. They get in the playoffs. They make a solid run, but they lose in the first round or they make it to the second round, they lose in the second round. If that's your goal in Oklahoma City, then don't tear it down completely. Keep guys like either keep Chris Paul or keep Gallo. Keep one of those tough guys. But if your goal is to win a championship, you want those picks to be really, really good. And some of them are obviously from other teams, so that's going to help you. But you're going to need your own picks to be pretty good too at some point. And it's not the worst thing to be in the lottery. It's just not. Give SGA the experience. Let's see if he can be the number one guy next year. Trade Chris Paul to somebody like the 76ers and get back. Maybe you get back a Shake Milton-type player who – really evolved and uh, was a good piece for them in the playoffs. Also was an Oklahoma kid from Owasso. Um, that's some, something like that is what I would like to see. Don't give up any picks when you're trading Chris Paul. Just trade him. Trade him to a team that needs him, whether it's the Knicks, whether it's the 76ers. I don't really care where he goes. Just send him somewhere where you could not have to send draft picks with him to make somebody take that t- terrible contract and give SGA a true chance to show us what he can do as the number one. Um, and maybe they make some moves in the draft this year. I know obviously they don't have a pick, but they have enough picks to trade. If they really like a kid, they may trade trade into the draft. But I think you go super young, um, you know, which brings in, do you keep Billy Donovan, do you not? He would be good for young guys, I think. But does Billy Donovan want to be here? And I'm not, I'm not so sure he does. I mean, he can get another coaching job in the NBA pretty quickly with what he's done, I think. Yeah, I think if Billy wants to be back, it's it's his call at this point. I think, or I would guess at least that that the offer will be there. It's just whether he wants to to stay here and and try and go through that or wants to move on. As far as Chris Paul, I know it's a ton of money, and and what I think the the final year is like forty seven million. That's a ton of money to take on. But like I'm looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. If you're Milwaukee, why would you not bring in that player? Because I mean, clearly Giannis needs some help, and and their backcourt. I mean, George Hill's the best player in their backcourt. They're the one seed in the East, and George Hill's the best player on the backcourt. Like, they could use a Chris Paul. The Lakers, for crying out loud, could use a Chris Paul. The two one seeds in the NBA would upgrade massively with a player like that. So, it's a lot of money, but I think there are still some some teams that, given the, the only two-year situation with that contract, could kind of make a title run with him as, as a part of their team. What the Thunder allowed Chris Paul to do this year was the best-case scenario for his trade options yeah. because he looked dang good. And like you're talking about, we're talking about the two number one seeds 
both could have a better point guard if they have Chris Paul. And that that means a lot, I think, to teams. It, it definitely will have some impact. The fact that LeBron loves Chris Paul, too, I think it is a part of it. The money, I, I don't think the teams care about paying the money with it being two years. The only thing I think they care about is can they fit it in a trade? Like, how does it work as far as right, making, making the, the money match up? Work, yeah. If they can make the money match up, if I'm Milwaukee, I'd do it in a heartbeat. If I'm not trading something, I want to trade a Middleton. I don't want to trade a Giannis. But outside of those two, I think everybody's pretty much on the table there. They got to be. Yeah. And if I'm the, uh, the, the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, I take a strong look at that too because they might win the championship this year, but pretty much LeBron James is their point guard. They don't have a true number one point guard that you're like, man, yeah, that's the starter. He's the dude. I mean, Rajon Rondo's just old and a little bit washed up. He's obviously been injured here, but I just, Chris Paul to me, he proved this year that he is still a good player. He was an all-star for a reason. And I think he's got one to two years of good basketball left. Is he worth his price tag? No, but he's worth it if you're a championship team and you're trying to win. And the good thing is, I, again, I think when you consider the results of what this season was, and not just on the court, but the, the impact that he had on the, the players on this team off the court, it's not a bad thing to keep him around and let him just, you know, by, by these guys being around him, let, letting him mentor the young guys for what the next generation is going to be. But you're kind of in an advantageous situation where if you, if you get the right deal, you can move him. And, and you can continue to acquire assets for the rebuild. If you don't, you have a team that is at least competitive, that is playoff caliber, and that the fans want to watch play. So, like, it's it's kind of a win-win. It, it was a win-win this year. And I, and I do think if you would have you know, just torn the team down, that the Thunder fan base would have dropped uh, a little bit. And I think instead of it dropping and people being like, oh, our team sucks, this sucks, it was more like a refreshing rebirth of the fan base just because the team played hard. Like we talked about earlier, there wasn't a bunch of complainers. And so I, I do think it actually helps the Thunder as far as the fan base. I, I'll say it again, I think it did hurt them as far as a, rebuild, a true yeah. rebuild and getting to a championship team. I don't think it helped them this year. That it, that did not help them a whole bunch, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, in, in the same breath, sometimes you do things for a fan base for, hey, we need people to still come, want to come through that door. And in the early games this season, it was pretty sparse at times in a Thunder crowd. I was a little shocked. It was not packed, you know, uh, Thunder arena like I, I'm typically used to. So I do think that it helped. And as obviously fans realized that they were a winner, they started supporting them more. That's just life, though. If you win games, people support you more. Um, go look at Oklahoma football. And when they have great support, they're really good. Back in the 90s when I was born, they didn't have great support because they were absolutely there. <laughs> so. If you win games, people will come. If you start being a loser, you know, you may have for the Thunder, I think they will have a year or two window where people are okay with it. But after that, it's like you said, you can you can kind of slide into that phase where you're just into oblivion in the NBA, and that's not where you want to be. What are you doing with Steven Adams this offseason? Are you looking to move him? He's going into the final year of his contract. I think there are some big conversations that have to be had about what kind of player he is and how he fits in the NBA in 2020. He doesn't fit. He definitely doesn't fit. Um, I, I think you kind of have the option of trading either Chris Paul or Steven Adams because you're not probably going to bring back Illinois, uh just with the money situation. We also have to think about it. I mean, the owners do have to deal with this COVID situation. They didn't have any home games for all right. these playoffs. They didn't have all that revenue coming in. I got to think that's hitting their checkbooks. 
And if I'm the owners, I just say, hey, we already should have been rebuilding. Let's just completely rebuild and save us some money. And a guy like Steve Adams, if he can get off his money, then maybe you do it. But I, I think they'll ultimately keep him just because I think he's the next Nick Collison. I think he'll stay with the Thunder for as long as he can. Um, and eventually, I do think he'll be weeded out to a backup type role. And if he's not okay with that, then they probably should trade him right now. I, I'm not sure what, if he is okay with that, if he's not. But uh, I don't. I think Stephen Adams, just from what we've seen, is pretty go happy, lucky guy that just he's just happy to be an NBA player. You know, I, I think he'll be okay eventually being a backup player. Do I think he has to be a backup next year? No, I'm just saying if in two years you've rebuilt. He's probably not your starting center, obviously, but maybe you want to keep him around as a Thunder culture guy, which is what they did with Nick. Right, which which is totally fine. The problem is you can't pay a culture guy, you know, twenty seven million dollars a year. Right. But he can't be a fourth of your year, yeah. So. He can't be a fourth of your financial pie, and and give you what he's giving you. I mean, a guy like Stephen Adams, plain and simple, can't be one of your best three or four players if you expect to be no. a really good basketball team. You're, one of your best three or four players can't be a guy that doesn't have the versatility to play against everybody, no matter what the playoff matchup is. The reason the good teams are the good teams is because they have guys that, no matter who they're playing, can be on the floor and can be effective. And if you have a guy like that, that, you know, I, I know, like, I, I'm not making... I feel like people want to make excuse for Steven Adams in this series. It's a bad matchup for him, blah, blah, blah. All of those things are true, but that doesn't take away from the fact that He's one of the, the main pieces of this team, and in a playoff series, we're having to make excuses for his lack of versatility. For what he's making, it's unexcusable. I said Lou Dort's one of the best contracts in the NBA. Steven Adams passed the rank. I know people think Chris Paul's contract's bad. Steven Adams' contract, in my opinion, is worse than Chris Paul's, just from the production standpoint you get out of him. Yeah. And bless his heart, like I said, I'm not here to say like he's a bad guy, a bad person, I hate him. And he's not but a bad like, player, uh, but... He's a solid player, yeah. but he is a 5 to $6 million player after this contract. Yes. They can give him $5 million, and I think that would be a great deal. Give him a $5 million deal for $20 million for four years. Something like that after this, and hoorah. He's made his money. Now you're just kind of keeping him around. And if he doesn't want to do that, if he wants to go to another team, you tell him, hey, Steven, we love you. We'll remember you always. You go enjoy that other team. But I just don't think big man like him fits anymore. If you want a big man, you get somebody that can shoot. Look at the James Wiseman kid in the draft this year. That's the next big man in the NBA. That's what he's got to be. He's got to be a kid that can step out and shoot a three, can jam on you, can have some post moves, but you got to be able to shoot the ball to be effective. And honestly, uh, after watching the the playoffs last few years, I'm a fan of not building with a big man. I'm not saying do the Houston Rockets model, but give me a Nerlens Noel type guy. And let me build with some really good wings and guards. That's what I think wins in the NBA. Yes. Yeah, I mean, pay somebody cheap that you can, depending on the matchup, throw him in if you need to, but but is not a necessity to have on the floor because of his paycheck. You're exactly right. It was really disappointing for me to watch the beginning of this series, and I think we all saw it in the first minutes of game one of this series. The Thunder made it a point in the first game of the series to try and establish Steven Adams offensively. He had P.J. Tucker, who's 6'5", defending him, and what did they do? They immediately posted up Steven Adams, and I was I was excited to see what that was going to look like because we never really see Steven Adams go to the block, post up, and get the basketball, and it was shocking to me 
just how bad that looked. He had such a hard time catching the ball, gathering, and making any sort of post move against a guy that was like seven inches shorter than him. At that point, I'm like, you can't have him on the floor because he doesn't shoot the ball. If you can't post him up and allow him to take advantage of smaller defenders, what the hell's he doing out there? Yeah, that, that, I, give credit to Billy Donovan. He tried it. Yeah, he and did. Yeah, and I appreciated him, that. With him on your roster, you got to try it. Like you said, you were you were wanting to see it happen. I wanted to see it happen. I was excited for it, but uh, the excitement quickly left. No, very very <laughs> quickly. You saw what actually happened. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a uh, just it just unfortunately it's just not who he is, you know. And that's that's why when I bark about hey throw the ball to Stephen Adams at the rim, you bring up the point of well what would have actually happened and. Who knows, but I still, I'll take the ball at the rim rather than him catching the ball at the three-point line. So it's for uh, sure, for yeah, sure. It's, it's kind of one of those deals. I don't, if you're a team out there, can you name a team that would take him in a trade? No. I'm not taking him in a unless, trade. I know Miami, you... Was it Miami that wanted him? Somebody wanted oh. him. Or there were talk. I don't see him sitting in those places, in really any place in the NBA. Unless you're just, you want to take that on for this next season and then have the money dump? Like, unless you're just trying to clear some money because you're going to be able to clear $27 million after this season, then I mean, yeah. that's the only thing I could see. I can't realistically see a, a good team feeling like for that money they're getting something that they could put on the floor regularly. Because, again, like, here's the other problem with Steven Adams. he's He does a lot of things good. There's not a single thing, though, that he does great. Am I wrong? Like, what? even for the non-versatile centers in the NBA, like, a guy like Jokic, for example, that does everything. You can run the offense through him. He can bring the ball up the floor. He passes. He shoots. He does everything offensively. Even for the guys that don't do that, they're at least like preventing players from driving to the rim and, and being incredible shot blockers. Like, There's not one thing that you can really hang your hat on with Steven Adams and say, this is what he does great. There's not, unfortunately. Um, you know, There's just not. With, with, with a guy like Gallo, I don't think Gallinari's a great player, but guess what? He's really great at shooting the basketball. So you can find a place for him. It's kind of like in baseball. Yeah. If you can hit, you may be the worst, you know, fielder of all time. They'll find a spot for you. Yeah. You can hit, but you got to be able to do something really extremely well. And, uh, and he, he does a lot of good things and he has his moments, but ultimately he just, he's not worth 27 million. If he, if he was getting paid 10 million, we're not having this conversation. It's yeah, Steven Adams, you know, he's, he's solid right. for him, yeah. but we're not just, dogging him but he's getting paid 27 million so like you said you take up a fourth or a third of the pie like hey you're going to be expected to be really 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 good yeah is he a top 10 center in the nba because I, I don't think he is i don't think he is i mean i i think he's towards the 15 to 20 range if i was just thinking off the top of my head i mean i, I anthony davis obviously leads the list but after that i mean and even after anthony davis you got anthony davis joel Embiid. I'm not really, you know, stoked for anybody unless I'm just absolutely forgetting someone. Yeah, I that's mean, a Jokic. That's just like the, uh, Jokic, yeah, that's, that's an easy one. Yeah, go, him, but, Gobert, Towns. I mean, even, um, and see, Gobert, though, and Towns, I'm not – they're really good. Don't get me wrong. I don't think you can win with Towns. And Gobert, once again, I don't think you can win with them in the NBA either because, yeah, he gives you some good defense. And he gets – like, game seven, he was good. But him not being able to shoot the ball just hurts you anymore. You got to have guys that are that are versatile. Those are those are definitely the top five centers right there that we just listed off there. Yeah. But after that, 
Stephen Adams isn't anywhere in the same stratosphere. So right, right. That was my point. He's just he's not even close to what those guys bring you. Um, I I love Nurkic too. I I mean Nurkic is so versatile. Nurkic he's he's is not great defensively, sure. but uh, again, I I think given the way the game is played today, his skill set works so well with that team. Yeah, he de- he definitely fits, and you kind of forget about him just because he didn't play for so long. But uh, he he fits. He fits the mold of the NBA, and that's the thing. A guy like Nurkic is a great example of what you probably want on a championship type team. He's not getting paid a ton of ton of money. He's not getting paid, you know, thirty, forty million dollars. And he's also not worth that. He's just right. getting paid a solid salary and he goes out and produces. Yeah. Another guy, Vucevic in uh, Orlando. Now, yeah, he's a dude that's unfortunately on a team that's so bad we, we, we don't forget really about watch him, yeah. them. But uh <laughs> He, he he's good though because he can score. He yeah. he can shoot. He, and, he can do some things. Yeah, and he's versatile offensively. my point. You got to be able to shoot the basketball anymore. That's that's the biggest things they're uh, telling the kids these days. I mean, you're James Wiseman's of the world. If you want to be a top five pick, better be able to shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, Dennis Schroeder. He's 26. He's going to be 27 by next season. He's his contract is up after next year. I think he's a starting caliber point guard in the NBA. It's it's probably not on the upper upper half of that list, but I think he's good enough to start for teams in this league. My immediate thought is the Thunder wouldn't want to pay him what it's going to cost to keep him because, again, I think he's going to get starting point guard caliber money somewhere. Am I wrong here? How do you see the Dennis Schroeder situation playing out? Spot on. You're spot on. He, he could definitely be a starting guard for many, many teams. Um, it just kind of comes down, I think, to what does he want after this and what do the Thunder really want? I mean, with him and SGA next year, if Chris Paul's gone, you've got still two really, really good guards. However, as long as Dennis is around, he's going to take that ball at SGA's hands right. more times than he probably want for his development. So uh, I think if you can find a good suitor for him, it'd probably be a nice move for Dennis and for the organization both uh, to trade him. So, I mean, if I'm Sam Presti, I'm looking at letting Gallinari go. I, I try to trade Chris Paul. Um, that's the first guy. And then the second guy would be trying to tip, trade Dennis. And then after that, if I can move Steven Adams and it makes sense because I know he's not going to come back and he's not going to be that Thunder guy, then you look at him as well. I think those are your, your three big moves and four, I guess, if you include letting Gallo go. But uh, Dennis is a good player. and he, He's really – brought a lot of joy I think to Thunder fans just uh, from what he's been able to do he's been a big part and he should win six man of the year I sure hope he does yeah again I, I like him and that's the reason that I don't think he's back or that the Thunder should probably look to move him is because I like him and I imagine other GMs like him and and would probably want to pay him starting point guard money and and you you nailed it as far as SGA because at some point the conversation has to become, when are we going to hand the keys to this car over to SGA as far as being that point guard? I know that if you if you move Chris Paul and you keep Schroeder, or the other way, you, you move Schroeder and you keep Chris Paul, everybody wants to see that happen, but you're still delaying the development of SGA another year as far as being your point guard and being, you know, quote-unquote, the future, if, if that, in fact, is the plan. So at some point, you're going to have to pass that baton to SGA and I think they're going to have to have that conversation this offseason. When does that officially take place? Exactly. And if Dennis is on this team, I'm going to tell you right now, they'll win too many games. That sounds bad, but they'll win too many games. They're going to be too good <laughs> because he's going to win you some games with SGA, especially in the regular season. Those dudes, I mean, 
SGA put up a great regular season. Um, the only thing I'm questioning is his postseason, which obviously is what matters most in the grand scheme of things. But we know he's going to play well in the regular season. We know Dennis is going to play well. And those two guys next to each other will have a great year next year if they're next to each other. Um, same thing you can, you can be said for if Chris Paul is there. So um, I, I think you try to you try to work in Baisley as much as you can. You try to keep Dort and his role growing. You don't want him to just stick as that defender guy. You want him to be a 3 and D guy. Right. Keep progressing. Keep progressing. And, uh, you know, you want SGA to obviously really progress. And the only way that's going to happen is if uh, Dennis is eventually gone, unfortunately. All right, so I, I want to ask you about this because I, I see that you're constantly traveling and uh, you're doing a lot of stuff with basketball. So you are, you're the radio host for CBS Sports 105.3 from 2 to 5 every afternoon here in OKC, but you're also the PH Circuit Director, correct? What, what exactly is that? What do you do? So uh, it's always hard to explain, and that's really my main job, to be honest. The radio is just a side gig that I'm fortunate enough to do and kind of go in and have some fun. But, uh, yeah, so the, the prep hoop circuit is uh, what I'm the director over. And basically, it's kind of evolved from I started out as a basketball scout. I've been with this company for eight years now. Started with them in college and just kind of worked my way up. But I mentioned the Nike YBL with James Wiseman earlier. Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas all have their leagues. And their, their objective with their leagues is to get the best players wearing their shoes. So, like, Adidas had Zion Williamson for the whole time. Now, obviously – they didn't really help him sign Zion. He signs with Jordan out of high school. So uh, uh, that's just the, he went to Duke, goes to a Nike school, and ends up obviously at a Jordan. So as much as they put him in Adidas stuff in high school, it didn't really work out for him. But that's the idea around those Brandon shoes. Our circuit is really the, the only one that's currently out there that's different from those three. We obviously are not selling a shoe. So we are the next level down. We don't have necessarily the James Wiseman, but we have a great – Great example of a kid that many will probably know in the Oklahoma area is Sean Padula. Um, we have a ton of players like him. Sean was a player that really had no big recognition before he um, entered our circuit with Team Buddy Buckets, and, which is Buddy Hill's team, by the way. And lo and behold, uh, you know, now he's ended his – he's going to end his, a, his grassroots career. Everybody calls it AAU, but technically AAU is really not a thing anymore. It's, it's all kind of spread out in these leagues. But uh, Sean, Sean's going to end with, you know, 20 Division One offers. So it, it's those are the type of kids we try to find. Uh, those are the type of teams we try to find, place them in our events. And our events are designed solely to get the Division One colleges typically there, obviously. This year it was very different because they couldn't come. So they're all watching online. But um, that, that's, that's basically my purpose. So year-round I'm traveling to meet with teams, meet with people, um, I've made some really cool connections. Uh, one, honestly, one of my favorite connections is unfortunately from the team that really ousted the Thunder, but uh, with the Golden State Warriors, Maurice Spates, love him to death. He's just a great guy and has a heart for the kids like you just would would never believe. I mean, he shells out so much money, doesn't charge the kids a dime, just like, hey, we're going to travel all over the place. So that uh, that's a short synopsis, but basically it's in the summer, from typically from March until August 1st, around that time. I am traveling around for basketball tournaments. And then the rest of the year, I'm traveling around just to, like I said, just to meet people and make connections, watch a kid like a Sean Padula, maybe in a Georgia or you know somewhere else, and uh, kind of get my own take on them and then develop uh, relationships going forward. So you're pretty much scouting like 12 months out of the year. 
every month. It does not stop. <laughs> Even in COVID, it doesn't stop, which it, it did slow down, obviously. Everything did. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. We had grassroots basketball, you know, starting in basically July 4th weekend for us. A lot of people started in June. Um, and it was, it was definitely a wild different year that I hope we never have to go through ever again with COVID, but, uh, we made it through and ultimately, um, once again, Champadou is a great example of this. He didn't, he had four or five division one offers before this year and he played through COVID and thank God he did because he ends up with around 20 offers. He's got Minnesota, Virginia Tech, Iowa State's time to come a lot. He, he's got a lot of schools, um, you know, that are recruiting him that didn't even know his name probably before uh, no, this calendar year. So he's, he's done a lot for himself and there's a lot of kids in his position that did play. And there's for every amount of kids there are that, that did play. There's a lot in this, unfortunately in the 2021 class that are going to be really good. And they're going to be playing for somebody like ORU, no offense to ORU, but they shouldn't be getting high major talent. They, they're going to get some though. Teams like that will just because some of these kids are under a rock still when it comes to recruiting and uh, the time is, time is ticking. I mean, they're signing days coming up here uh, in the next couple months. How much do you think COVID is going to impact the next couple years of recruiting classes and, and maybe just the overall visibi- visibility for some of these guys? Oh, major, major. Um, people are really focused on the 21 class right now, and rightfully so, uh, because they're the ones that are impacted directly right now. But that 22 class, the, the, the guys who are going to be juniors in high school right now, they're going to have the worst of it because these 21 guys, we knew who they were at least before this year. Right. I mean, and the same can be said in football. I was listening to um, uh, Eddie and, and Carrie and those guys in their podcast, and they were talking about it in football, and it, it's very true. It, it, it's across all sports. 2022s and 2023s, those are the guys we would have got to know this year that a lot of them just are still very hidden. We have no clue who they are because they either didn't play or you know the visibility was very low. So I think that those next two classes, you'll see a heavy impact and. And we're going to see a heavy impact from red shirts this year. Uh, whether we play basketball or not, who knows. But it's going to be a heavy, heavy impact uh, in football and in basketball, I think, from the red shirt possibilities of uh, athletes basically clogging up a class. I was having a conversation about how much the game has changed just in the last five years. And certainly when you look at it over a long period of time, it, it just looks completely different than the game that we both grew up watching. How, from a scouting standpoint, how much have you had to adjust the way that you're looking at these kids and the skill sets you're looking for just in, in the last few years? I think it's changed a lot at the, at the top level. Um, like Not the as James much the, yeah. of the world at, at the, you know, like when you get down to the division two level, I don't know how much it's changed a whole bunch. Um, but it still has changed to some degree because people want big guys that can shoot like that for, Forget about the NBA, which is what we've been talking about this whole time, but like even in Division Two basketball, which is still some pretty dang good basketball, there's guys making $500,000 a year after they graduate from Division Two. So like, you can go make some money overseas if you're pretty good, but uh, everybody wants somebody that can shoot. So if my, my biggest thing I can tell kids out there is, listen, if you're good at one thing in the game of basketball, one thing, pick shooting and work on it. <laughs> it's something that even if your shot is the most you know just hideous-looking shot in the world, if you shoot 500 times a day, I promise you, you'll be better. I mean, that's ultimately shooting is, uh, I think the best skill in basketball right now that you can possess. If you can shoot, they'll find a spot for you. Uh, I mean, look at, look at guys like Keaton page. Keaton page has no business being in the big 12, but guess what? He did have business being in the big 12 because he could shoot the yeah. crap out of the basketball. Uh, and just kind of proves 
you know, if you can do that, um, once again, they'll find a place where they can hide you on defense. They can do what they've got to do and whatever other skill sets to help you progress. But shooting is just such a, such a big part of the game. It's so funny to me because that's the most important part of the game, right? Like the point of the game is to get the ball in the hoop and, and everybody is looking for more shooters. Everybody. I mean, that, that's constantly – people want guys that can score. Um, there was a kid actually this past week, a great example of this. He's, he's really talented and he's a nice kid. He's six foot eleven, super athletic, can do just about any dunk you'd want to see, which is all cool. I mean, it's great for a dunk contest. But he just can't, if he's outside of four feet, he's not making a shot. And, I mean, he looks like a kid that should be going to Duke, and he's going to probably end up at a school like, um, you know, St. Louis or keep using Oral Roberts or Oral Roberts, UMKC. So he's going to end up at a school like that, and maybe he develops. That's your hope, you know, obviously. Right. But unfortunately, there are a lot of kids like that. That's like the, the potential word is the biggest word in scouting. Um, but at some point, I always say you got to just be able to produce. Um, potential only gets you so far in this game. But uh, it, it is really cool doing the job I do, even uh, seeing some of the other leagues, like you know, getting to watch Michael Porter Jr. growing up. You know, he was always the number one player uh, as he was coming through the ranks and evolving. And, yeah, he got hurt. But I always knew, like, if you watch that kid, you just knew. Right. A lot of people didn't, obviously. But he was going to be good. As long as his back healed up, he was going to be fine. That's when Trey Young – you know, seeing him play around here, he's obviously tremendous around here. But when you saw him go against the elite guys and just tear them to shreds, I mean, he was getting paired, compared to guys like Trayvon Duvall, who where is he now? No one knows. On a G League team, probably. Yeah. He was getting compared to Quad A Green. Quad A Green transferred from Kentucky to I don't even know what he's doing right now with his life. So um, it's, a, it's a great example of when kids get to that top stage, you either have it or you don't. You know, um, and that's that's what a lot of these NBA evaluators they don't miss often because they're watching these guys as young as you know, sixteen, seventeen years old. Whether it's at Nike's uh, stuff, Adidas stuff, Under Armour stuff, or maybe it's the NBA Top 100 camp. But uh, these kids are evaluated a ton. Who who were the guys that that you knew were going to be great that maybe nobody else was in on, or and and then on the other side of that, was there somebody that you were just convinced was going to be great and then it didn't pan out for? Um, I would say Zion's a pretty easy one that you knew watching that kid for the very first time. This kid's different. Yeah. Like, I don't care what you tell me. There was a lot of conversations when he was 15 and 16. Oh, he's just bigger than everybody. That's the reason. Which, that is the case sometimes in like an 8th or ninth grade where if the kid's just huge. But this, this kid is just different. I mean, you watched him and it was instant like, this is a can't-miss kid. He's going to be amazing. I don't know if he's going to be LeBron level. But he's going to be really, 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 really good, um, and you know have that uh, have that burst. As far as on the bad side, I'm trying to think of one that'd be really awful that I thought was going to be good, but um, or maybe not awful, say, but just maybe didn't well, like hit well, the point that you thought one. they would hit. Here's a good one, and he can still get there. He can definitely still get there. But Bowl Bowl, oh, okay, um, yeah. when he's coming out, I mean, he's a good example because he just dotted out and didn't just didn't make that turn yeah. in college I, I don't think he, at Oregon he really got he had injuries and stuff he never really got his feet under him I feel like there and with the Nuggets I don't think his career over by any stretch I think he, this bubble thing actually helped him a lot but it is uh, he went from a guy that was just dominating to you're kind of like man what uh what happened there you know you just 
you're not sure what happened, but to be honest with you, the, the biggest question mark the whole time was, um, you know, work ethic. I think you're seeing guys that have a work ethic problem. They either figure it out and start working or, you know, unfortunately they uh, teeter off and they won't be in the league here very often. Yeah. Matt, good stuff, my friend. Uh, we'll have to do it again. Uh, it's officially football season in the state of Oklahoma with the Thunder's loss last night. So uh, the next time we get you on, we'll talk some sooner football and maybe the NFL. But uh, definitely appreciate the time this morning. It was good to catch up with you. Sounds like the plan. And uh, let's all say our prayers and send our good vibes for an entire football season. <laughs> Fingers Thank crossed, man. I, I think we if, if we just get to kick off, I think we're going to be okay. Maybe that's just wishful thinking, but that's I, I, I just I, feel like... Hey, I'll go with you on that. Let's just get there. Um, this weekend, I guess we've got Navy and BYU, which yeah. normally I'm not jacked for Navy BYU, but I'm all in. I'll watch anything right now. Isn't I was it watching Central Arkansas. It's so bizarre to me because usually at this point, we've gone like a month really without having any sports whatsoever, and we're all just fiending for football to kick off so we finally have something. And I've talked to a lot of my friends who don't really have the football fever yet because they've had basketball and baseball and hockey and like all this stuff is happening. So I think it's been much easier for people to not just be craving football every single day, like our normal calendar kind of sets up for. It's different. It's definitely different, but uh, maybe a good different because the NBA is going to end. And I think we're going to be able to go right into it. Uh, If you love baseball, obviously that's still going on, but uh, you know, the NBA is going to end and we'll be right in the heart of football season, hopefully. So, Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Love it, man. All right, let's catch up again soon. Thanks, Colby. That was Matt Riddles joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, Matt is the afternoon host on CBS Sports 105.3 in OKC from 2 to 5. He's also the director of the Prep Hoop Circuit, America's number one independent grassroots basketball circuit powered by Prep Hoops. So appreciate Matt. We'll catch up with Matt again in the football season. Thank you guys for listening. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, share the podcast, all that good stuff that I mention every single podcast episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. You can follow me on Instagram, Colby.Daniels. I always appreciate the interaction. Guys, it's officially football season with the Thunder season ending last night. It is officially football season in the state of Oklahoma, and I'm excited. This is the Colby Daniels Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs>